Welcome to the Neuropathy Support Group and Podcast. I'm Chris, and I'm so glad you tuned in. It's my hope with this podcast to help all of us gather information that might help those that need support dealing with this debilitating issue. Hello, and welcome to this podcast. Before we get started, let's get the formalities out of the way with the medical and privacy disclaimer. I am not a doctor or medical professional. The information on this podcast is from personal experiences and is meant for group support. Additionally, the information discussed is not meant to diagnose, treat, or cure any underlying conditions associated with neuropathy. All names here within are private and will not be shared with any outside sources. Please consult your healthcare provider before making any health decisions. If you have medical concerns or an immediate emergency, please contact your doctor or dial 911. Well, hello everyone, and happy Monday to you. It's early here in Fresno, California, but I felt the need to start this podcast a little sooner so I can get it out tonight. But again, thank you for listening, and thank you for being patient with me as I was when I was sick last week. I kind of got the same thing yesterday, but it's gone away this morning, so my voice is a lot better. Before I get into the subject today, I just wanted to let you guys know that I did post a GoFundMe page. I found that over the last three, four days, I'm being, I'm only able to walk a certain amount of maybe feet ahead of me. I've been having a lot of issues and my legs are getting worse as I talk to you now. And I know it's come to that point where I need a wheelchair now to get around. Um, so that's why I put one in there, just to help me with the cost of what the wheelchair is going to be. Because I found one that's my size, my height, and everything. So any bit you can donate, that would be so awesome. But I wanted to let you know before we started this program here and what that GoFundMe page was all about. So with this episode, I wanted to stay in the same um, topic that we talked about last night. And this one's going to be episode 53. Can you believe it? Episode 53. I've been doing this for two years now. And this title of this episode is going to be, Are Antidepressants Effective in Treatment of Back Pain and Osteoarthritis? And the reason why I picked this one is because I take many uh, different uh, antidepressants, which I'll uh, let you know what they are at the end of this uh, podcast episode. But that's something that kind of hits home for me, because I do have... Um, discs that are being pinched in my back, which I've talked about before, but I want to let you know in my own case how effective these antidepressants are for that issue and if they work. Oh, and one more thing before I get started. Um, I'm going to start taking that alpha lipoic acid, 200 milligrams, um, starting today, and I'm going to give them, until I run out of the whole bottle, there's a hundred of them. If you guys can let me know how much of them you take, that'd be great, so I can get a comparison. But I wanted to let you know about that also. So let's get into our episode. Back pain and osteoarthritis are two of the most common and hardest to treat conditions in the United States. One out of every four Americans experienced low back pain in the past three months, making it most common type of pain reported, according to the Caesar. Centers for Disease Control. Osteoarthritis caused by damage 
or breakdown of the joint cartilage between bones is also at the top of its class list, and not in a good way. It is the most common form of arthritis, affecting 32.5 million U.S. adults. Antidepressants, such as SNRIs, are often prescribed for these conditions in an effort to improve pain. But a new study suggests that for many people, these drugs may not be effective. So now we're going to talk about antidepressants don't help back pain. Results suggest major medical organizations, such as the American College of Physicians, the Osteoarthritis Research Society, include antidepressants in their treatment guidelines. Antidepressant medications are the fourth most prescribed medication for low back pain in the United States. About one in four people seeking treatment for the low back pain are prescribed an antidepressant within three months of being diagnosed, according to a study. When antidepressants are used for pain, it's often at a lower dose that would be prescribed to treat depression. Although the mechanism of action isn't fully understood, scientists believe the medications work within the brain and spinal cord by raising the level of calming neurotransmitters and chemicals to reduce the amount of pain a person feels. So investigators looked in at 33 studies, more than 5,000 patients, to find out if antidepressant medications are safe or effective in people with low back or neck pain, sciatica, or hip and knee osteoporosis, osteoarthritis. Researchers looked, looked into 33 randomized controlled trials that altogether included 5,318 participants. 14 of these studies were fu uh, funded by pharmaceutical companies, and the funding was unclear for five of the trials. To interpret the results of the different studies according to one standard measure, the pain and disability scores of the studies were converted to a common 0 to 100 point scale, with 0 meaning no pain or disability, and 100 denoting the worst possible pain or disability. So here's the class of antidepressants that they studied in these trials. First one's going to be the SNRIs, which are like FXR, FXR, XR. The next is going to be the SSRIs, which include Zoloft, Prozac, Lexapro. One of those Lexapro is what I took. And it causes a lot more issues than just that, but I won't get into that right now. But for those that take it, probably understand what I'm, where I'm going. Uh, there's also SARIs, and that would be something like terzatidone. Uh, I have a friend that takes that, and that's an uh, atypical antidepressant. And finally, NDRIs. These typical antidepressants include Welbutrin uh, and Welbutrin SR and Welbutrin XL, which I've taken those too. And it wasn't for this issue, but you know, if they, if I was to think back, I would say no, that those didn't work for me if it came to back pain. Investigators also found the following results. SNRIs had a very small effect on back pain, reducing pain by 5.3 points out of 100 on the, on the pain scale compared with placebo after three months, an amount that would not be meaningful to most uh, patients, according to the researchers. 
Now, SNRIs were slightly more effective in osteoarthritis pain and reduced pain by 9.7 points compared with the placebo, just short of the 10-point mark. A standard set by investigators as the amount needed to be clinically meaningful. Now, TCAs may help with sciatica pain, but the evidence wasn't conclusive. The sciatic nerve is one of the largest nerves in the body, and it controls muscles in the back of your knee and lower leg. When you have sciatica, you easily, it's usually just one side of the body, and the symptoms are pain, weakness, numbness, or tingling that can start in the lower back and extend down as far as your toes. And the GCAs weren't found to be effective for back pain. And as a warning, it says, we would advise caution when interpreting or finding their findings for OA and sciatica. The doctors say in our analysis, most trials in people with osteoarthritis were sponsored by pharmaceutical companies that stand to gain a lot if the drug is shown to be beneficial. And trials in people with sciatica were small and poorly conducted, and hence the findings are less certain. So the next topic is, this study leaves open questions about pain causes, duration, and more. This is an interesting paper that gives some insight into using these medications in people with back pain, sciatica, and osteoarthritis. But there are some drawbacks in using a a meta-analysis to measure their efficiency, according to the doctor. This type of analysis can be helpful in that it examines a large number of patients, but this particular test includes a few different types of pain. Differing levels of pain severity, many different pains of medication, and at different doses. There are also a lot of unanswered questions. Why do they have the pain? How long have they had the condition? What are the other risks that they have? Those factors make me, the doctor, view the results in type of an analysis with a certain amount of caution. Also, the doctor says a multi-center controlled study that compared the most widely used antidepressant against placebo would help better gauge the efficiency or lack thereof, the doctor adds. So evidence is limited. Why use antidepressants to treat pain? Antidepressants are prescribed for back pain or OI for different reasons, according to the doctors. Most guidelines for back pain and osteoarthritis currently recommend their use, he points out. Additionally, some patients might, may have not responded to other drugs for pain, such as the anti-inflammatories, and so were prescribed an antidepressant as a second-line therapy. Let's talk about non-drug treatments, such as physical therapy, mind-body techniques, and massage which may be underutilized for pain. Many doctors and patients are not aware of the benefits of non-drug treatments for these conditions, even though the most recent guidelines for back pain and osteoarthritis emphasize non-drug treatments over prescribed drugs. One thing the study does show is that antidepressants are pretty safe with no big side effects. The risk is very low 
And the potential benefit is that a person can take a medication that may help their pain. That's not an opioid medication. There's not a lot of downside to at least try an antidepressant medications to improve your pain, the doctor says. If I had back pain, I would want to go that route before trying something like a narcotic that puts me at risk of an addiction. So should people on an antidepressant for pain stop taking them? Do not continue meds without consulting your doctor. It is very important not to abruptly cease treatment with antidepressant medications. That can lead to withdrawal effects, which can be distressing and sometimes present as a serious health issue. If people are currently taking antidepressants for their back pain or osteoarthritis and they feel that it is helping them, we recommend that they continue the treatment. For those who are not seeing improvements after three months, it's a good idea to discuss options with your doctor. The healthy lifestyle and the drug and non-drug treatments probably have a greater role in the long-term management of pain conditions than prescription drugs. So despite this analysis, antidepressants may be a good option for some people with sciatica or back pain. Even though this study shows doesn't show a huge benefit in treating pain, there are patients who receive some benefit. This study doesn't account for what every individual's problem or treatment plan is. For people with chronic pain in any of these treatment areas, I would still recommend talking to your healthcare provider about the possibility of trying an antidepressant medication, especially before resorting to any type of a narcotic. Now, I'm going to tell you, you know, I take many antidepressants, which I'll talk about here at the end, but I just wanted to let you know, too, though, that a lot of those medications for myself make me really uh, groggy and sleepy. So there's that other thing that you got to, um, you know, fight against if you want back pain or reduce in some way. So I still got a little time left. There was um, one other uh, topic that I looked at right now for chronic pain, you know, different uh, reliefs that you can do. This one's symptom relief. Now, I haven't heard of this technique, so that's why I wanted to talk about this real quick. But pain reprocessing therapy is a new type of treatment. So little research has been done on this ability to improve various types of chronic pain, except for chronic back pain. Chronic back pain in a groundbreaking and widely reported randomized controlled trial, research carried out the first clinical test, which included 151 participants with mild to moderate chronic back pain, for which no physical cause can be found. Remarkably, two-thirds of the patients treated with PRTs for four weeks were pain-free or nearly pain-free, and a whopping 98% of PRT patients had least some improvement. The outcomes held true a year later. Another small study had similar findings for a 12-week um, PRT, like course called a PSC, symptom relief therapy. And let me spell that word. It's P-S-Y-C-H-O-P-H-Y-S-I-O-L-O-T-I-C. Nearly two-thirds of the patients who received this type of treatment reported being free of the chronic back pain they had experienced. 
The research on PRT is small and scant. Scientists had previously researched the first component of PRT called pain neuroscience education. Their literature also showed and found that PNE for a musculoskeletal pain and patients' knowledge of pain, which could possibly improve function and lower dis uh, disability, reduce psychosocial factors, enhance movement, and minimize the need for healthcare utilization. Also, one review showed that those that have fear of moving, another review, however, found that while PNN does not seem to decrease pain or disability, it can help people cope with their chronic pain condition and reduce the pain and fear of moving. And one systematic review compared PNE plus exercise and exercise alone for chronic musculoskeletal pain. It found that incorporating PNN resulted in great, greater short-term improvements in pain, disability, and many types of pain. Additionally, research has found some support for using PNN to treat specific pain issues when used in conjunction with other therapies, such as spinal pain, migraines, lower back pain, neck pain, and adolescence. It's not known yet whether pain reprocessing therapy could help with other non-pain conditions, but there are specific reasons to be optimistic. Uh, Fibromyalgia-related pain, Research shows that pain neuroscience education may help improve functional status and pain with people with uh, fibromyalgia. And finally, the one that I was kind of interested in is the fear of movement or pain sensitivity in people with osteoarthritis who will be getting a total knee replacement. PNE may help decrease fear of movement and pain sensitivity as well as increased positive beliefs that their upcoming knees of their upcoming knee surgery. So that was the one thing I was interested in. It's called catastrophizing or the fear of moving. I'd never heard of that before and that's why I wanted to kind of get an idea of what that was. But I hope in any way this episode has helped you out there. Make sure to contact your doctor if you're gonna make any kind of changes. Also, read up on it and find out if these products are working. But let me give you a quick uh, rundown of the medications I take. So there's one of them I use, um, Trazadidone. Now that one's to help me with the rest of the leg syndrome. But my antidepressants that I take is one of them is Seroquel, 400 milligrams. Then I take Paxil, 40 milligrams. I take um, another Seroquel that's 200 milligrams. I take a Lamotrigine or Lamictal, uh, that one's 200, and I also take a 100. So through the many years I've been taking these, you know, there had to be a lot of adjustments, of course. Um, they do help with depression, anxiety, and those issues, but nothing for back pain that I have found, which before I started this episode, I didn't know that there was a possibility that these products could uh, help you, but... I just wanted to pass that all, all that information on to all of you. Maybe it'll help you in some way. Well, you guys take care. Have a good week. Go outside, spend some time with family, and stop having the time of thinking about your pain so that way you can carry on and be better than you were yesterday. So until next week, 
I'll talk to you later. As we come to a close, it's my hope this podcast and other sources, such as product reviews that I have discussed today, can better our lives and give us some relief dealing with neuropathy. This episode plus others are posted every Monday on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And finally, whatever life throws at you, even if it hurts you, just be strong and fight through it. Remember, strong walls shake, but never collapse. Talk to you next Monday.